right, so we will get started. We will finish up Galatians chapter 6. Brother Chris did a great job last week. Got us uh, about halfway through the chapter. So we will close out uh, Galatians uh, tonight. <clears throat> so just as a quick recap, the first five chapters of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul has been talking about how that, what we refer to as legalism, <clears throat> uh, having to live a certain way and obey certain rules and those kind of things, how that that is not uh, living by the law is not uh, the gospel, that the gospel is by grace through faith uh, in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, as, as Chris talked about and as we looked at last week, that when we get into chapter 6, Paul kind of changes gears and um, starts talking about uh, how that even though we don't have a list of rules that we have to live by, we still, uh, you know, have standards by which we uh, hold ourselves accountable to. Uh, so we'll jump right in. I'll start out in verse number seven. Paul says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. <clears throat> so a lot of times we... Uh, this is a very familiar verse of Scripture, and uh, I've preached it before. Uh, most of you have heard it preached multiple times in multiple different ways and heard this verse quoted over and over again. But when we look at it and put it into perspective, and we look at for five chapters, Paul has talked about that we're not under law, that we're under grace, that we don't have to live by a list of rules and regulations then when we get into chapter 6, he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What he's saying is that, look, don't deceive yourself and don't deceive anybody else. God is not mocked. You're not going to make a fool out of God. So if we think that if I dress the right way and I act the right way and I say the right things and I wear my hair the way I'm supposed to wear it and I do all the right things, that I'm spiritual. He says, God's not fooled by that. God's not mocked. He, he, he's not going to be fooled by, by the way we live our life because as we've talked about, God looks at the heart. He sees, he sees past our actions and sees our intentions. But he says... When he talks about sowing and reaping, <clears throat> I read something that was really insightful this past week or a couple of weeks ago, and it was all about this scripture here of sowing and reaping. I'm not a farmer. I don't know that much about farming. I've never been much uh, to plant a garden or those kind of things. Now, my dad and and uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they could make anything grow. They were amazing. Uh, but it just wasn't anything that I was ever, uh, you know, that interested in and did a whole lot. But when we think about this, you don't sow a seed today and start picking apples off the tree tomorrow. 
So this is, this is the example that Paul is using here about sowing and reaping, that there is an investment in time. So think about that as we go through this. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall love the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall love the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, most of the time when we read that verse, we think of sowing to the Spirit as sinful things and sowing or sowing to the flesh as sinful things and sowing to the Spirit as good deeds and righteous things. But I think, you know, as it does, you can take it to mean that. There's a deeper meaning in it in the fact that what Paul's saying in the context of five chapters of we're not under law there's not a law that we live by what he's saying is is that if we live our lives based on our physical deeds that i do good things and therefore i'm a good person i'm spiritual because i come to church i'm spiritual because i sing in the choir i'm spiritual because i've you know, wear the right clothes or do all the right things, everything I'm supposed to do. What he's saying is, is that that's sowing to the flesh. We're glorying in the flesh. And what are we going to get by that? We're going to get the glory of the flesh, which is nothing. It's corruption. There, there's nothing that comes from the flesh except for corruption. But he says that if we sow to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, I want to kind of put it to you like this. By me living right, and, it, and once again, at no point do we need to misunderstand that we're not saying that as Christians we should not have standards and we shouldn't live right. That's not what we're saying at all. But if I put my hope and my faith and my trust in the fact that I do the right things and say the right things, no one has ever been brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because I went to church. And nobody ever will get saved because I go to church. Nobody is ever going to come to know Christ because I wear my hair the right way or I dress the right way or I don't cheat on my wife and I don't use curse words and I don't drink. Nobody's ever going to get saved because of that. Now, I can have a testimony to people because of how I live and if I don't live right, that can ruin that testimony. But nobody's ever going to get saved because I live right in the flesh. But if we sow to the Spirit, we shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You see, we're not righteous because we live right. We're righteous because we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, God can use us to convict the hearts of lost people. But if our hearts are cold and carnal, but we live right, God cannot use us to convict the hearts of lost people. You see, it, it, it has to be a spirit thing. And that's the, the difference that Paul is making here. It's like, look, it can't be a fleshly thing. It has to be a spiritual thing because the spirit is what convicts people, and people are only going to come to Christ if we're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, do we have to live right in addition to that? Of course we do. However, we don't have rules 
to live by because if we're filled with the Spirit of God and we're led by the Spirit of God, we're going to do the right things automatically. That's, that's the difference. We don't live right because we have to if we're filled with the Spirit of God. We live right because we want to, because we're led by the Spirit of God. That's the difference. God does not want us to live right because we have to. God wants us to live right because we want to. Then he goes on and he says, Let us, in verse 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, this is where we get into that time thing. So what Paul's saying is, just like when you plant a garden, and you go out there the next day, and it looks just like it did yesterday. Tend that garden. You go back a week later, you see something green sprouting up, and realize it's a weed. <laughs> because weeds grow faster than corn. <laughs> All right. So what do you have to do? You have to pick the weed. You have to weed the garden. And there's weeks and weeks of going out there to that garden and, and tilling the ground and watering it and pulling the weeds and maintenance and upkeep. Then you see a little sprout of corn come up. And then it's another few weeks and it gets a little taller, but you still got to get the weeds out of there. You have to keep going back. There's a time investment and eventually... That corn is a big, tall stalk that's taller than you are, and there's big, huge ears of corn on it, and you can pick those corns, and you can enjoy fresh corn right out of the garden. But if you got weary and well-doing halfway through, and you said, I don't see much evidence of this, what's the use of coming out here every single day and hoeing the garden and getting rid of these weeds and you just gave up on it, what would happen? The weeds would overtake the corn, and you would never have a harvest. So what Paul's saying is just like it takes time to grow that corn in the garden, it takes time. There's an investment in time in our spiritual lives. And the reason why that a lot of Christians today are not strong and spiritual and close to God is because too many times we fail to make that investment in time. We get weary in well-doing. We stop reading our Bible. We stop coming to Wednesday night Bible study. We stop praying. We stop those things because we don't see an immediate return on our investment. So we get weary and we give up. Or we take a break or we take time off. I read The thing that I read that I was going to share with you was a man that said um, that he was, he was an older gentleman. Uh, he had been preaching for years and he was nearing the end. Uh, uh, of his life and he said one man came up to him and said I wish that I had the, the scriptural knowledge that you have and the guy looked at him and he said you're about 50 years too late and the guy said what do you mean he said I've been dedicated to studying the word of God for the past 50 years of my life he said, that's how I gained the, the, the scriptural knowledge that I have. He said, so if you want the scriptural knowledge that I have, you should have started 50 years ago. Because that time investment. And then there's people that, uh, and it's, it's easy for us to look at 
an evangelist that comes in and, and they preach and, and the spirit moves and we say, man, I, I wish I could be as, have as much faith as they have. I wish I could have as much of the power of God as they have. That wasn't just given to them. When you see a person that, that if you know, and some of you know who I'm talking about, maybe your grandmother, maybe your mother, maybe an aunt or an uncle, that you know that if you need somebody to pray, if you got a problem, you go to them. Because they have a connection with the Almighty that very few people have. If they pray for something, it happens. That didn't just happen because God likes them more than he does you and I. It happened because that... That's a result of the investment of time. They, have, they pray not only every day, but multiple times a day. It's, you see what I'm saying? That's why that they have power in their prayer that maybe I or you may not have as much power because they invest that time. They do it, and that's what Paul's talking about. If we invest our time in spiritual things, we're going to reap life everlasting. We're going to reap spiritual things. And spiritual things are not deeds of the flesh. Spiritual things are deeds of the heart. Like Pastor Gary was talking about, by giving $3 to our missionaries to help those kids. Now, if we have a contest, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having contests, that's good. But if I guilt you into giving $30... What are you going to, and, and you don't want to give $30, but now you feel guilty because we're keeping names, we're keeping track of everybody that didn't give $30. So you give $30 to meet my idea of what's right spiritually, which is legalism. I force my belief that only people that give $30 to the missionary are are righteous spiritual people. And if you don't give $30, you're not righteous. If you give that, what spiritual benefit do you receive from it none but if somebody says that just touched my heart and the holy spirit of god says you can spare thirty dollars that will help ten kids and you on your own led by the spirit of god go to pastor gary and say Pastor Gary, I want to give $30. Do I write a check? Do I send it to them? Do I deposit it in a bank account? How can I give these missionaries $30? Here's my $30. I don't want you to announce it from the pulpit. I don't want anybody to know. I just want to give $30 because God impressed on me to give 30 What kind of spiritual benefit are you going to get from that? Tenfold. See, a lot of times we think... And I've felt this way before. I have actually been scared not to pay my tithes. Because it seems like every time that I didn't pay my tithes, the engine in my car would mess up or the brakes would go bad. Or I, I'm like, if I'd have just paid my tithes, my brakes wouldn't have went bad. <laughs> now, let's be honest. Is that how God works? <laughs> God says he didn't pay his tithes, so I'm going to make his car tear up. My car probably would have tore up anyway because the brakes go bad on cars, right? And I'm not saying that we don't suffer when we don't pay our tithes, but you see what I'm saying. God doesn't want me to pay my tithes because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm going to have to fix my car. God wants me to pay my tithes because I want to, because I love him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you're afraid of me, keep my commandments. 
He didn't say, if you fear me, keep my command. He said, how do, you, how do I know that you love me? Do what I told you to do. That's what we would say to our children, right? How do we know that, Dad, I love you, but you don't do anything I ask. You don't clean your room. You don't, you know, do all the things that I ask you to do, but you say you love me. I tell you what, quit saying I love you and just start doing what I ask. <laughs> right? Wouldn't we rather have that as parents? That we'd rather have children that listen to us and do what we ask rather than are completely disobedient and never do anything we ask but tell us they love us? That's what Jesus said. He, he said, look, it, it, it's not about the doing. <laughs> I'm not worried about the doing. I'm worried about the heart. I'm worried about the want to. And then in verse number 10, he says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So what he's saying is, we, Paul, Paul is saying, I just went through five chapters of how we don't live under the law. And then he says, but as much as we have opportunity, we need to do good things to all men. So he's saying, look, we still have an obligation to live right and love God and do right things, but it's not because we have to. It's because we have opportunity. When we have opportunity, only, uh, only do it to the brethren. We only, we're only obligated to do good things to other Christians. We're only, we're only obligated to help people that, are, that go to Baptist churches. We're only obligated to help people that believe in God. No, he said all men. And that word men doesn't mean males. It means mankind, humanity. So we're supposed to do good to the lost people. We're supposed to do good to atheists. We're supposed to do good to people that don't like us. We're supposed to do good to people of other faiths and other denominations. This is not a click thing. He says, we, you know, it's not just, um, I, I know churches that refuse to give financial aid to anybody that's not an active, regular attending member in their church. Now, if that's their standard, that's fine. They, they can do whatever they want. But is that really what God wants us to do, to only help the people in our church? And maybe if you, maybe if you have limited financial resources, maybe that's the decision you have to make. It's like, look, we have people in our church that we can't even help the people that are here. But I know churches that have hundreds of thousands of dollars in their bank account. And there's missionaries that are asking for $3. Now, I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm, not, I'm not demonizing those folks, but I'm just saying sometimes we have to step back and reevaluate our priorities. Now, um, here's the thing. All of us have different convictions. So Paul, Paul makes it clear. He, he doesn't want to be unclear that we don't have to live right. That's not the case at all because he says right here, as much as you therefore have opportunity... Let us do good unto all men. So he's saying we, you know, we have the obligation to do what's right and to do what's good. But here's the thing. I have different convictions and different um, standards probably than you do. Some people may have standards on certain things that are more strict than the standards by which I live. 
and the standards by which I live may be more strict than some other people. You may have certain standards that are more strict than mine, and I may have certain standards that are more strict than yours. Having standards, as we've said before, is not legalism. Legalism is when I say my standards count, your standards don't, and you have to live by what I think you're supposed to do. And if you don't, then we have problems. I've got something that I don't think I've read it before, but um, it was a quote uh, from John Phillips, uh, who is a commentator that I, that I really like. And I want to share it with you. He said, this kind of coercion is in, in religious circles. Every group has its particular set of things that simply aren't done or things that must be done if someone is to remain in good standing with the powers that be. With some groups, it's a legalistic instance that women wear a head covering when attending church services. With others, it's the requirement that a person be baptized before, before being allowed into the fellowship. With some, the passport uh, for acceptance is speaking in tongues. With others, it's a vow to use no edition of the Bible other than the King James Version. With some, it's a prohibition against women wearing certain kinds of clothes. With others, it's an objection to men wearing beards. The list goes on and on. And that's what we're talking about. That's, that kind of stuff is what Paul's against, is having that list of rules that if you want to be accepted here at Vickers Chapel Baptist Church, here's how you have to dress, here's how you have to think, here's how you, how you have to have attendance, here's all the things that you must do. And unfortunately, that's prevalent in a lot of churches and a lot of organizations. But Paul says that that's not how we are to live our lives. Now, in verse number 11, he says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Now, this is what we would think of when we're sending a text. And I'll put it in 2020 uh, language for us. When I'm sending you a text and I put it in all caps... That's what Paul's saying. He now is starting to put everything in all caps. So from verse 11 down to verse number 18, he's texting in all caps. Uh, I, got a, I, got a, I had an email going back and forth with the district manager in Canada about a certain training thing at work. And um, it got a little snippy. You know, I wasn't trying to be rude, but he was being rude. So I was just, you know, letting him know that this is the actual answer. He was arguing back and forth about the thing I was teaching wasn't right. Um, but anyway, and I, I talked, we had an all-team meeting, and I talked to my boss and one of the other trainers, and I said, you all give me feedback. I said, did I overstep, you know, in the email chain back and forth with this DM? And Tanisha the other trainer, she said, Terry, he put it in all caps, so he was screaming at you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. I thought, I thought he just got really rude because he capitalized everything. He didn't highlight it or underline it, but he put it in all caps all of a sudden. She said, so he was, he was screaming at you. So this is, is kind of what I want you to think about. Starting in verse 11, Paul is putting it in all caps. He's emphasizing this. In verse 12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, 
they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should uh, suffer persecution for the cross. Now, what he's saying is, these Judaizers that are putting pressure on you, that desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they were wanting them to be circumcised so that they could, they could glory in the fact that, hey, they could, they could write home and tell people. We had uh, 40 uh, Galatians come and commit to being circumcised. See, so it's all about glorying in the flesh. It was all about that. He said, they desire to make a fair show in your flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised, lest they suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Paul is going to get into a lot here. Let me go on and read verse 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may what? Glory in your flesh. Not give glory to God but glory in your flesh, glory in your submission, glory in your uh, uh, conformity to their rules and to their standards. That's what they're glorying in. He said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So what Paul is saying is, the only glory that we can have is in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the shed blood of Jesus. That's the only thing we can glory in. And he said, they constrain you. They put pressure on you to conform to their doctrine so that they can glory in your conforming. They're not doing it so that they can glory in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, that is the only thing that matters. So this is what we have to take away from it now in 2020. We can't glory in the fact that we live right. We can't glory in the fact that we do right. We can only glory in the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life a ransom for us. We didn't deserve it. We're not worth it, but he did it anyway. And that's the only glory that we can have. That's the only glory. He said, save. He said, God forbid that I should glory in anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should preach anything other than that which points to Christ. God forbid that I should pray about anything other than that which glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that we should sing a song in a worship service other than those that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, you see, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about Vicar's Chapel, it's about Jesus. Now, we, do we need to protect Vicar's Chapel and have it a good reputation in the community because it represents Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But we can have, we can have a good reputation in the community but not have the power of God, and what is it? Nothing. It's a waste of time. People can walk around and say, those people down there at Vickers Chapel, they're good people. They never wear shorts. They all have nice, clean haircuts. None of their men wear beards. None, they always do the right thing. They give thousands of dollars to charity every year. They, they go give uh, gift baskets. They ain't none of them uh, said a prayer in months. What is it? It's nothing. So... Do our deeds matter? Absolutely they matter. 
Are we righteous because of our deeds? Nope. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. If we're going to glory in anything, it better be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse number 15, what it says, Paul said, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. <laughs> it's all about salvation. It's not about living right. And here's the thing. A lot of Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, uh, Methodist churches, I don't, it doesn't matter what the denomination is, there's a lot of people in a lot of churches that preach salvation by grace through faith that are going to die and go to hell because they're living right, but they never got born again. That's what he's talking about right here. For in Christ, coming to church availeth nothing. <laughs> living right availeth nothing. Yes, having a form of God, but denying the power thereof. Great point, Greg. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't live right and that living right's not important. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that living right availeth, in, that doesn't avail anything but a new creature. If we're saved and we live right because we're saved, that's what matters. If we're not saved, if we haven't given our heart and life to, to Jesus Christ and we live right, that's meaningless. It means nothing. Verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule. What rule? Being a new creature. <laughs> as many as live by this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul saying, I'm sick of everybody picking on me. I'm sick of everybody attacking me because of this. He said, I bear the marks. Paul's been beaten. He said, I've got scars on my back because I stood for Jesus Christ. He said, how many of these Judaizers have scars because they stood for Jesus Christ? They have no scars, but they criticize me. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, leave me alone. When you get some scars because you stand for the cross of Jesus Christ, he said, then come and talk to me. Till then, stay out of my business, basically is what he's saying. Now, it gets real good here. In verse number 18, as we wrap up, he said, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So how does he end it? It's all about grace. He said, I glory in nothing save the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's all about grace. Paul brings it right back to grace. Paul says, I'm not worthy, but it's grace and it's the cross. And Paul said, Terry, you're not worthy, but it's the grace and it's the cross. He said, Pastor Gary, I love you, brother, but you're not worthy. It's the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we get in. That's how we have access. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except by me. And it's only through him. So the only thing that we can glory in today is Jesus Christ that gave his life on the cross. And if we glory in that, we can see people saved. If I glory in my flesh, if I glory in my good works, if I glory in my good deeds, sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. All right, so that will wrap it up for tonight. I appreciate everybody being here. And next time, we're going to open up in Ephesians chapter number one.